All right, good morning. How is everyone doing on this beautiful fall day? Well, your, uh, your elders are away. Uh, Pastor Matt and Rusty, uh, I believe they had a total of 10. They, are, uh, they attended the CCF conference or the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. They had their national conference in Chattanooga. Uh, this past weekend, and so they attended that, and I'm looking forward to hearing what they've learned and how God has spoken to them through that conference. The topic was on emotions, and their theme was emotions engaging the expressions of the heart, of our hearts, and so looking forward to what uh, they learned, and I pray for them as they, I believe they'll be traveling today and returning, so uh, pray for that group, and uh, also be praying for uh, Robbie, uh, I believe he is returning from uh, Haiti uh, today and will be in late this evening, so pray for him as he, uh, as he travels as uh, well. And uh, pray for Greg. Uh, Greg went with them, and uh, I believe he left for Hogwarts, so uh, <laughs> pray that he would return. I don't know if Kirsten is excited about that, but uh, no, if you saw the video, uh, Rusty posted a video uh, of that last night, and uh, watch the video, and if you're a Harry Potter fan, it'll, it'll make sense to you, but I uh, thought that, that was funny. So uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of James primarily, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, really the topic of conflict and uh, God's instruction to us on how we should be th- understand conflict when it happens, how we should think of it. And may we ask God to help us to guide us through the conflicts that we, that we have. Uh, for the past several weeks, Matt and Rusty, they've been walking us through the latter part of Ephesians 5. And they've been explaining to us God's divine relational order and what biblical submission looks like, primarily between husbands and wives. And so this morning, uh, they thought it might be a good idea kind of do an offshoot of that, uh, because whenever uh, we're talking about submission, uh, and especially talking about the relationship between a husband and wife, and really relationships in general, uh, conflict is going to happen. It just is. Uh, it's, it's inevitable to live your life completely outside of all conflict. Uh, I have three, uh, three beautiful daughters, and uh, I know a lot about conflict, but uh, Nevertheless, I, I appreciate Matt and Rusty uh, inviting me and allowing me to speak uh, this morning. My name's Nick. If you're visiting here today, I'm, I'm a member here, and uh, my, my wife and uh, our family joined uh, just uh, really a few months back, uh, but we've been attending here for some time, and so Matt has asked me to, uh, to speak. So um, that's what we're going to be looking uh, about. Uh, thankfully, though, when it comes to conflict, God gives us insight and instruction on how to understand, handle, and resolve conflicts in a way that God see, uh, receives glory. And so as we think about this, I kind of want to just give you a big picture of something uh, for you to think about, to have in the back of your mind, is that when conflict arises, uh, that we as believers, as Christ followers, would pursue, uh, per- pursue being a peacemaker. Um, and uh, um, desiring to have peace in those relationships. A biblical counselor by the name of Ken Sandy, he makes an interesting observation about people when it comes to conflict in relationships. Uh, He says there's really only three kinds. 
the first observation he makes is that there are peace breakers. Uh, they're peace breakers. Uh, they are prideful and often will power up. If they don't get their way, they blow up and only escalate the conflict. Uh, guys, think about maybe when you're watching an Ohio State game or a, a football game and someone just grabs that TV controller and remote and changes the channel. All right, we, we t- will tend to, to blow up. Maybe, maybe not everyone. Maybe it's only me, but uh, that's not often good. But there's peace, peace breakers. There are peace fakers. They avoid conflict or clam up, trying to shove the conflict under the rug out of fear. Neither of those is helpful or healthy. But then there's also peacemakers. They see conflict as an assignment, not an accident. They approach the problem with humility, reasonableness, and seeking wisdom from God. Uh, This first area of scripture I want to read for us this morning, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and I apologize, I don't have anything on the screen for you this morning, so just have to follow along and listen well. Matthew chapter 5, and it's really interesting just to to note uh, the comparison. There are a lot of comparisons or similarities when you study the book of James, and then also when you study really the Sermon on the Mount, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. But let's read verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. And here James really begins to contrast godly wisdom uh, with earthly wisdom or selfish ambition. We see wisdom from above in this text leads to peace. And earthly wisdom leads to disorder. James chapter 3 verse 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I think the picture there is of chaos, of frenzy, uh, of a lot of fighting going on. And then here, James contrasts and marks as someone who would be, the way we would think of it, filled with the Spirit, functioning under God's submission. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, 
and good works, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we see here true wisdom comes from, um, and not, or at least not only, um, or not through intellectual effort or study, but it is a gift of God. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says? He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so again, big picture-wise, as we think about being a peacemaker, when we approach conflict and we have that thought, uh, and those encouragements from, uh, from the scriptures. A couple things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean avoid speaking the truth. Um, it does not mean asking hard questions or ignoring a blatant sin or sweeping it under the rug. A lot of times uh, our hearts are very prone to, to that. Well, let's just not address it. Let's just sweep that under, uh, under the rug and not confront it or talk about it or work it out. We do need to understand those who sweep stuff under the rug enjoyed just the, the, the facade of peace. And eventually that will lead to disorder uh, if we do not deal with it in the right way. But being peaceable is the opposite of selfish ambitions and the hostility that it produces. A Bible commentator, Dan McCartney, says this, James' point is that those who do deeds of peace and promote peace there, thereby plant seeds and create an environment that eventually yields righteousness, not only for the sower, but also for the whole community to whom peace comes. So true wisdom is known and is shown and grown in peace. When conflicts arise, and we know that they will, and whatever relationship you think about, just uh, it, maybe if you're single in here and you're not married, uh, there's been conflicts that you can have with your parents or with your friends or with your employees uh, or with the boss at work. Uh, there's conflicts that can arrive between church members and their elders. Uh, but may we ask God to pursue peace in these, embrace the opportunity to resolve things biblically, and have an urgency to keep unity in mind in midst of the hard times. And as believers, uh, we can... We can pursue this. We can achieve this. We can have peace in our relationships. Timothy Lane reminds us that the cross enables each of God's children to make peace. The cross enables each of God's children 
to make peace. Jesus' death and resurrection has made peace possible between us and God. And through Jesus' redeeming work in our lives, enables us to have peace in our relationships. Let's go back to James. This is where where we're going to really focus on. And uh, let me give you just a couple introductory notes concerning the book of James, if you come and and, and, uh, study it out. A couple things to note. Obviously, the author is James. Now, there are a couple different James in scriptures. Uh, I believe, and and, um, most believe, that this James, the author here, is thought to be the brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you're taking notes, you can write Galatians chapter 1, verse 19 for more uh, for support of that. Also interesting to note, most believe that this is probably the the oldest book in the New Testament. Uh, So when we're reading James, uh, this is probably the earliest one that was written. And so as you notice and as you study the book of James, some of his terminology that he uses uh, definitely does reflect that that you see more in the Old Testament. And that would make sense because of the, the, the date of the writing. And so it does differ the terminology that he uses um, if you were to compare it to a lot of the writings of Paul. Um, but that probably is the reason because of the date of the book. James is directed to Jewish believers scattered among the nations, chapter 1 tells us. Um, and while the Pauline teaches concentrate on our justification by faith alone in God, James focuses on the works being exemplified because of that justification. And all throughout the the book, you'll you'll see the theme in James is putting really your faith into action. Because you have faith, because you have been justified, because you have received God's grace and have been made alive and redeemed because of the work of the cross, that faith should produce something. That faith should be worked out and evident in all of our lives. And so uh, we read portions of Matthew chapter 5 earlier because this book has many parallels to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. In the latter part of James 3, as we've already read, he compares and contrasts the differences between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, and then he asks us to turn from evil and draw close to God. Um, Just in this little book, James gives us approximately 60 obligations and only 108 verses. So we see James uh, giving us a lot of things to think about and encouragements on how we should live out our faith. 60 obligations and only 108 verses. The expectation with James is that if you have genuine faith, that that faith will show itself through your obedience to scriptures as a follower of Christ. And James is telling us to live out our faith. Our faith uh, should be active, should be producing fruit of righteousness. And if it is not, it's interesting, James 2.19, he compares that faith that is not producing uh, similar to that that is shared by demons who believe in tremble. James chapter 2, verse 19. But again, good works are not the cause of salvation, but they are the result of it. And so let's look at James chapter 4, and then we'll start breaking down verses 1 and 2. All right, before that, let's, let's pray this morning. Our Father, as we come before you, we come before you as, as a needy people. 
Lord, we are so thankful for your kindness, for your grace that you show towards your children. Father, thank you for our redemption in Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and allowing us to become children of light and to walk in your light. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we confess to you many times where we love other things more than you, where we succumb to the pressures of life, where we handle conflict in ways that do not bring honor and glory to your name, where we give in to the desires or to the selfish ambitions that often war for our heart. So Lord, we plead to you this morning that you would help us, that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to handle conflict in a way that brings you honor and glory. Father, help me as I teach, and we will give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Understanding conflict. Let me uh, read something from a book entitled Catching Foxes by John Henderson. When Mike and Tanya walked, first walked into my counseling study almost 10 years ago, they were wearing conflict and contention. Their faces were sour, their bodies tense, and their jaws were set. As soon as they settled into their seats, their arms were crossed. They refused to look at one another. Each shared their side of the story. Mike shared a long list of offenses and shortcomings he saw clearly in his wife. Tanya shared an equally long list of wrongdoings and problems she clearly saw in her husband. Both offered a list of justifications for why they thought, felt, and acted the way they did toward their mate. Their views of their own offenses and wrongdoings, ironically, was not so clear. If their spouse would just improve, each believed that their marriage had a chance. If it, it would be so much easier, more enjoyable. A lot of married people can probably relate to this. Sometime during our meeting, I asked the questions. Why do you believe there is tension and fighting in your marriage? Both Mike and Tanya had answers. The person sitting next to them was the main problem. The families they grew up in and the experiences they endured before marriage were, from their perspective, also reasons for their struggle. The stresses of children, financial debt, and extended family members were other causes. If these areas could be changed for the better, they believed their marriage would change for the better. If the circumstances around them improve, then their marriage could finally improve. They had explanations for their conflict. Their explanations just happened to be wrong. Why does fighting and conflict happen? There are a lot of answers out there. We can say personality differences. We can say maybe our spouse failure to meet needs or poor communication. Uh, but the, these are often blamed for our battles. But what does God say about our conflicts? What is the root or core of disputes among you? James chapter 4 verse 1. Look at it again. This is a question James poses. And so evidently, in this community of believers, and again, this is a Jewish audience, uh, there was conflict in the community. There was quarreling. Matter of fact, if you read chapter 3, uh, the beginning of chapter 3, evidently some of them were wanting to be teachers. And James kind of encourages them to stay away from that desire 
probably because they were desiring it for the wrong reason. We'll get to that in a little bit. But James says, he's like, guys, what causes quarrels in these fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So if you're taking notes, a big idea here. You fight because you want and you cannot have. You fight because you want and you cannot have. And James says it's because of your selfish desires. Um, the beginning of chapter 4 is most likely a continuation of the same topic starting in chapter 3, verses 13. Chapter 4, he is changing the focus within the same discussion. And James' commendation of peacemakers in verse 18 flows naturally into a discussion of the community problems. And again, apparently there are a lot of issues that created strong needs for peacemakers to be there. So quarrels. Quarrels has the idea or means, any, means battles or strifes of any kind. So in this community or, uh, or in church or the husband and wife relationship, what causes these battles and this strife? He goes on to say it's desires, pleasures, often uh, with a, a connotation of a sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. John Henderson says this about selfish desires. Selfish desires are those desires so strong and self-interested that we are willing to sin in order to achieve or preserve them, or sin in attitude or actions when our efforts to achieve or preserve them fail. Selfish desires are those desires so strong and self-interested that we're willing to sin in order to achieve or preserve them, or sin in attitude or action when our efforts to achieve or preserve them fail. And so our desires come from our hearts, and when they fix themselves to any created thing in the world, they are often revealed in what we crave or what we lust for and what we, or what we are afraid of losing or fearful of facing. Now, nothing here, new here. A lot of this stuff, which I'm so thankful. Um, as a newer, newer member, just let me... Just say this, I am so grateful for the teaching uh, that this church has been receiving for many, many, many years. Um, it's such a blessing. It's so helpful, so biblical, and uh, so a lot of this stuff, isn't. if you've been around renovation, a lot isn't going to be that entirely new to you, but it's good reminders for us to hear and to, to, under, uh, to understand. Um, so our selfish desires come from our hearts when they fix themselves to any created thing in the world. It could also be, though, it could also be good desires that have become ultimate desires. Not all desires are wrong, but it could be a good desire when that becomes an ultimate desire that could lead and become very easily sinful. So it's not necessarily the thing you desire, and it's not the fact that you desire it, but that your desires have become sinful, right? A lot of us, if you have parents or if you have children, uh, as parents, we desire good things for our children, right? We desire them to have a good education. Um, We desire them... Uh, we probably want them to have a lot of nice things or have friends and do all these types of things. And at the root, sometimes those aren't wrong desires because we love our children. We do want best for our children. But when they become the ultimate desire, 
and, and our lives begin to revolve and are dictated, everything we do and every decision we make by our kids, then that could be a sinful thing. That could become an issue. We could start to begin to live for that. Question for you to ponder. What are some things that your heart lusts for on a daily basis? What are some things that your heart lusts for? What are, what are the desires, what are the things that you think about on a daily basis? Is it approval, respect, money, pleasure, affirmation, comfort, security? What do we desire? What do we lust for? James chapter uh, and verse 2. You desire and you do not have, so what do you do? So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, that's an interesting uh, statement. Just to give a little context, um, the context probably suggests what what were they they wanting um, that they didn't have. Probably the kind of wisdom that will enable them to gain recognition. And, that, and he's connecting, the commentator is connecting uh, to chapter 3, to where he starts talking about teachers. And so his thought is, maybe some of the leaders uh, were wanting recognition in the community. Uh, and James has already reminded some of them uh, and w- warning against them to be uh, against being teachers. Maybe they wanted to lead their church but didn't have the kind of wisdom uh, to do so. But nevertheless, he says, you do not have because you, you do not ask. Maybe they weren't asking for the right kind of wisdom. Maybe they were just wanting uh, recognition, which in verse 3 uh, would, would maybe give, uh, give more support to that, to that thought. But the idea here is, James is saying, if there is quarreling, if there is a lack of peace, naturally, what do we always want to do? Well, if I'm unhappy, if I'm satisfied, or if there's a conflict going on in my relationship, you know, what do we say? <laughs> it's not me, right? Can't, I, mean, I mean, it can't be me. I mean, I'm, I'm a great guy. I, a lot of people like to be around me, right? We sometimes start to think stuff like that. But James is saying, look at your own heart. Look within. If there's conflict, if there's heat coming, being applied in your life and your relationships, the first step you go... Search the scriptures. Ask God to help you to see what you're striving, what your heart is wanting, what is warring and going on in your heart. And this is a wonderful truth. The scriptures are giving us great insight and understanding as to why we can't seem to lay down our own agendas or get along well with others. Because it's often the desires that are ruling and controlling our heart. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this? Number one. The enemy is within us. Conflict is eternally motivated before externally manifested. The enemy is within us. Conflict is internally motivated before externally manifested. Our selfish passions are what we fight most about. But again, as I mentioned before, even good desires can morph into self worshiping demands. But you fight because you want and you cannot have, and in that moment, we are thinking that we need, or more quite frankly, um, 
that Jesus is just not enough for us. In that moment, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm upset. I'm going to go to war. And in that moment, our heart is, is at conflict and raging. And often it's because our heart is saying that Jesus is just not enough. And as we learn, watch from Paul Tripp's video, Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Whatever rules your hearts shapes the words that you speak, Paul Tripp says. Whatever rules your hearts, your heart shapes the words that you speak. So what can we learn? Number one, the enemy is within us. Conflict is internally motivated before it's externally manifested. So before you, or once you blow up, a lot of stuff was going on in your heart before it led up to, to that fruit, to that expression. Secondly, it's not just what we want. It's not just what we want. It's how much we want it. What can we learn? It's not just what we want. It is how much we want it. Where and what am I coveting? Uh, I sent my notes to Matt to, for him to review and offer suggestions uh, over the weekend. And um, he made some notes and suggestions, which I appreciate and were very helpful. And uh, he also gave me this quote that was said in one of their sessions uh, by Mr. Groves. He said, emotions are like a price tag. They tell me what I value. Emotions are like a price tag. They tell me what I value. And I'm really excited to hear what they've learned about uh, emotions. Um, have you thought much about your emotions? I don't think I have a whole lot. Think about your emotions. Just think about sometimes just the pendulum swing of emotions that you might experience in just a day. From when you go to work or when you go to school, the time you come home or the time you lay your head down at night. Think about that. But also think and, and be thankful for emotions. I think they're a grace of God because they help us. We can look at them and we can think or it gives us more discernment. Hey, what's going on in my heart as a child of God? What is my heart warring against? What is my heart seeking after? Am I really treasuring Jesus in everything today? So uh, may we be encouraged to really think about and look at our uh, emotions and what they are teaching us or, and how they can help us to understand what our hearts are craving. But where and what are you coveting in those moments? We know from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, uh, and the Old Testament says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Timothy Lane comments on this passage. He says, People engaging in ungodly conflict have already begun to worship someone or something other than God. They are guilty of spiritual adultery, which is another way to describe idolatry. The person is giving himself to a false lover. And because of the way coveting values a particular thing over, so what do we, what, when we covet, what's happening? What's going on? 
whatever that thing is, whatever that we're pursuing in that moment, that becomes often more valuable, uh, more valuable than trusting in and obedience to the Lord as our provider. And so it's a breach of the first commandment. Paul makes that clear uh, in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Which is idolatry. Ask this question. If you're taking notes, write this down. If I only had blank, I would be satisfied. If I only had blank, I would be satisfied. John Piper talks a lot about this. Today, having pleasure and being satisfied in God and His provision. But what comes to your mind? It's such a convicting question. Such a convicting question. Within your marriage, think about this to connect it kind of to the bigger series at Ephesians. If I only had this, I would be satisfied. If only he or my husband would develop a vision for our family, then I would be satisfied. Or if only my husband would spiritually lead like he's supposed to, then I would be satisfied. Or if only he would help around the house more. Or if only she would nag less. I would be satisfied. This one I struggled with for years. If only she liked to watch football with me, right? I would be satisfied. And uh, my wife doesn't really like to watch football, still to this day. But that's all right. That's all right. So what is that? What is that thing? If more than likely not, if it's not Jesus, that thing will often lead to the construction of an idol. We can only and truly be satisfied in Jesus Christ and live in His wisdom from above, which is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Um, That's where our true satisfaction comes. It is in Christ and who He is and how He has provided for us and how He has blessed us. I want to give us some questions to help us think about uh, when it comes to our desires. And I think these are some good questions because they help us to understand our heart's idolatry. And when we have a better understanding of that, have a better understanding of our heart and what it's worshiping or what it's want, it opens the door. It helps us apply the gospel to it. It helps us apply the gospel to it. So let me uh, give you four questions here to help us think about or... Uh, the construction of an idol, uh, or your pursuit about an ambition. Number one, am I willing to sin to get it? When we think about idolatry or false worship, am I willing to sin to get it? So the answer to that question is yes. What's happened? Whatever that is, you've decided, you know what? I know more... I know better than God, and I want this. No matter what God's Word says, no matter what effects it can have on my life or the relationships in my life, 
I think I want this. Are, am I willing to sin to get it? Your heart's saying, I want it too much. Again, it could be a good desire, or it could be an evil desire. Uh, but it doesn't always necessarily have to be a sinful desire. Uh, God may still be in the picture, but His kingdom and your kingdom is beginning to, to collide. So am I willing to sin to get it? Secondly, am I willing to sin if I don't get it? Am I willing to sin if I don't get it? Well, I need this now. I have to have this. If that's the case, it now owns you. Again, it leads to sin because you're looking to someone or something to fulfill only what Christ can. Well, if God can't meet this need now and in my timing, I will, right? Am I willing to sin if I don't get it? Thirdly, am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Um, for those of you who are, are, are single or not married, I think this is a very applicable question to you in, in terms of um, dating relationships that God might give you. Maybe you're in a relationship and you feel that if things don't take place, if things don't happen, I'm going to lose it. But I want that relationship. So I'll do whatever I can in order to keep it. A lot of times we struggle with, with that, that fear of losing something. So let me do whatever I can to maintain it. Husbands and, and, and wives, it, it's very applicable in our relationships. And how, and it's, it's crazy to think are, are those desires and the selfish ambitions, how much they can drive us and they can, can control us and affect our thinking and decision making if we... Uh, if we allow it. Well, I'll give you a little, just a very funny, lighthearted, practical illustration. Um, several years ago, actually it was 2005, my wife and I purchased our, our home in Xenia. Before that, we had a dog. And um, we we purchased, we were very, it was our first dog, and just so you know, most of you don't know me very well, but uh, I didn't grow up with dogs. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself like a, uh, an animal person, per se. My, my parents had cats growing up, but um, needless to say, we still have, we don't have any pets. We had, we did have a goldfish a couple weeks ago before it died, but um, we had a dog. Jenny and I had a dog. We, we, when we got the dog, we got it from a rescue center in Tennessee when we were in, co- uh, in college living there. Very uneducated. Uh, I admit that. We were, like, we were like, let's get a dog. So we're, let's go get a dog today. So we went and got the dog. And uh, we ended up getting a Jack Russell Terrier mix. So we know now that's the wrong type of dog for us. Uh, very energetic, hyper. And what happened, apparently... Uh, just before we came, this dog was just uh, was fixed, and so was still recovering from that surgery, and was very calm, and 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 cuddling and sedated. And we're like, "This is a great dog." Um, not, no, it wasn't. Um, 
high energy dog, and we were never home, was chewing up everything, and uh, we, 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 we purchased our house, we were able uh, to get some new furniture, and I'm like, you know what, I think our lifestyle dictates we just, it would be good if we just get rid of this dog. So we did. Uh, I knew a friend who was in the, was in the animal industry as an animal lover, I consulted her, uh, and uh, she worked at IMS at the time, so she posted uh, our dog profile at her work, and long story short, this couple came from a couple hours away and uh, wanted to look at her dog, and at the time, they, they were just going to take it for a weekend and then do a trial basis, give the dog back, see if they liked it. Well, they drove all this way, uh, they took our dog around the, uh, around the block for a walk, and when they were there to, to look at the dog, Jenny had to go somewhere. A friend came over, she had to leave, and she knew it's okay if the dog goes for a couple days because it's going to come back if we decide to sell it so she can say her goodbyes and, and so forth. Well, the people desiring to have the dog came back and said, you know what, Nick? We, we want the dog. We don't need the trial run. Um, we'll just take it. It's a long drive for us, and uh, we're ready to go. And at that moment, and in my mind, I'm like, yes, the dog's gone. I don't want to lose this awesome couple who wants this dog, who will love this dog, who will give this dog a great home. And I don't want, I, I don't want anything to disturb them not wanting it. I know I should wait for my wife to come home so she can say goodbye to the dog. But I don't want to lose this opportunity. So, and I was only married le- under like two years. Bad decision. And so I said, take the dog, go. And uh, Jenny calls and says, hey, how'd it go? I said, well, they took the dog. Well, that's good. Uh, when are they going to bring her back? Never. <laughs> uh, and she said, don't. When I get home, I, I hope that you're not there. Uh, <laughs> But what was happening in my mind? We think that's a funny story, but really what was driving the, my decision? You know what? I don't want this dog. I don't want, I don't want them to change their mind. I know the right thing to do would probably wait for my wife to come home because she loved our dog and wanted to say goodbye. But you know what? I'm just going to make the, I just want to, want to get it away, right? That's a funny story, but a lot of times that's our selfishness will drive and push us to make decisions that are often unwise at best or often sinful. And so, am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Uh, then fourthly, fourthly, in term, steps of construction of an idol, do I run to it as a refuge rather than God? Do I run to it as a refuge rather than God? When we begin to place our affections on a created thing rather than the creator, we are only pursuing our kingdom, not God's. And this is what James is saying. What causes quarrels and f- causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So the root issue here is, you want something that the gospel of grace hasn't provided for you, and often we think we know better than God when it comes to what we need. That's the root issue of what's going on. We falsely think over and over that we have to tell or at least define our need to God, right? As if he doesn't know. I know I live my life often that. I'll be discontent in an area or I'll be unhappy. 
because I think I need something. And really what I'm saying is God, God just doesn't know what I need then, right? Is that true? No. Scripture tells us we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need. He knows how to provide for us. He knows uh, how to handle our lives. Our selfish desires, as we see in verse 3, they can often affect our prayers. And I think that's what James was kind of hinting. So you, you don't ask, and you're asking for the wrong thing. You, do, you ask, and you do not receive. Why? Because you're only asking to spend it on your passions. Because you're asking wrongly. Your desires have elevated so much that you now ask God to give them to you. They are not kingdom-centered, but they are self-centered. Um, let me give just some practical thoughts, too, on how, how does conflict tend to display itself? And I know we've been talking about the husband and, and wife relationship, so if, if you're married, think of it that way. In your relationship with your spouse, how does conflict tend to display itself in your marriage? So when conflict happens or disagreement happens between you and your husband, like how is that displayed? How is that shown forth? What, what does that look like in your home? Another way to ask it, what form can it take? What form can it take? Um, a lot of times the expression can be, uh, can be shown in corrupt words. Incorrupt words. It's probably largely how it can be shown when conflict happens, especially in a husband and wife. Right? Hurtful words, discouraging words, not helpful words. Words can be powerful. They can be encouraging. They can be very helpful, but they can also be hurtful, destructive, and damaging. So much, James, he, he spends a lot of chapter 3 in talking about the power of the tongue and the destruction of the tongue and the destruction of the words that come out of our mouth. James chapter 3, verse 6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Verbal conflict um, in our relationships will need to be dealt with on a regular basis. But proud words will express a proud heart. Humble words will express a humble heart. John Henderson says, Words do not primarily express our culture or family upbringing or our biochemistry, but our souls. When our words are unkind and ungrateful, no one else is to blame. Such words come from inside us. Such words come from inside us. But we're good at, at justifying it, right? You know what? I'm, I'm Irish, so I can just be angry all the time, right? I'm, I'm, why are you angry? Because I'm Irish. I'm allowed to. No. No, you're not. You can't use that as justification. That's just showing forth what's in your heart. In terms of this conflict and expression, uh, we're also exhorted uh, in Romans, Paul teaches us this, but don't return evil for evil. Right? We love to do this, especially when things can become escalated in our relationships. 
right? They said something hurtful. Well, I'm going to say something hurtful back. Scripture encourages us not to do this. Uh, It's not helpful, nor is it right. Another reason uh, we'll often go to war and allow things to get escalated is our thirst for victory. How many of you can that relate to? Right. Well, I'm going to extend this argument because I, I know I'm right. And they need to understand that I'm right. Right? Our hearts love. We don't like to lose, right? We want, we want victory. We want to be right. So I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to prove to you that I am right. But you know, what is that being motivated by? Prideful heart. A selfish desire. We need to be careful about that and uh, be aware of that. I'm just going to keep arguing. I want to win. I want to be right. So how can conflict display itself in our marriage? What forms can it take? Number one, expression of corrupt words. Secondly, maybe rejection of correction. Maybe you are lovingly offered correction or concern to your spouse or to a friend, but it's consistently rejected. Consistently rejected. It can take that form. It's rejected either by changing the subject or making excuses. Um, We blame shift. Or what what could another one be? The silent treatment. Right? The silent treatment. Yes, your spouse or someone comes to you in concern and love. You, You think it is out of love and concern. Or they express in an area of concern. I'm just trying to, no, I'm not going to talk about it. We need to be careful with with that. Humility and repentance are set aside. Proud defense of self becomes more important. And again, our flesh hates to be shown its errors. But much conflict happens when our prideful hearts refuse to genuinely listen to the concerns of others, and especially of our spouse. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof, I like the, is stupid. (laughs) You can't get much more straightforward than that. Praise the Lord for Proverbs. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. We must depend on regular correction and instruction from people around us in order to repent and grow. This is another reason I I know you got, we hear it a lot here at Renovation and and, um, rightfully so and thankful for that. But this, that's why the church is so important. That we place ourselves in relationships and we arrange ourselves in relationships that we can receive loving and helpful correction and allow people to pour their life into ours. It's, it's wise. Scripture says it's wise. And we should love that discipline, love that knowledge, because it's helpful. And if that person is truly loving Jesus and loving you, that's what they want. They want good things in your life. They want God to bless your life. And if they're lovingly coming to you, hey, you need to think about this, or I'm concerned in this area about you. We need to fight hard against bucking up and rejecting it. But you know, let me just listen to what they're saying. Um, when I am approached in those circumstances, one of the first questions that I try to ask myself is what this person is saying, could this be true? 
Like, is this true if it's about me? Instead of, oh, no, it's not. No, I'm just going to disregard. No, is this really true? And uh, listen to what they're saying. So expression of conflict, it can take the form of rejection of correction. It can take the form number three, um, just the idea of following our own counsel, always trusting in our own eyes. Uh, We need to be careful about that. When we are doing that, that leads us in a trajectory down a path of a life filled with folly and destruction. Proverbs 14.12 says that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its ends is a way to death. Uh, You look in the Old Testament, the people of Israel did this during the days of Judges, right? Judges 17.6, in those days there is no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I'm just not going to block everybody else out. I'm just going to follow my own counsel. Scripture never really says that that is a good idea. Um, there are other there are some forms that ungodly conflict can express itself. These struggles are not communication struggles. They are heart struggles. They are expressions of a heart living for its own kingdom and glory. And only Jesus Christ can help us, can redeem us, because Jesus is the one who can redeem and change our hearts. And that's where our hope lies in. Let's move on. Let's give some more practical things as we move on further down uh, this, this chapter. James gives us some more instruction concerning our selfish desires. Uh, verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Proverbs 3 verse 34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed only by those who admit their need and accept the gift. Look at verse 7, James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, Here, and especially um, in verses, uh, let's see here, I lost my my spot. In verses uh, 8, Again, we see the vocabulary reflecting the date of the book. Uh, James uses a lot of Old Testament words and imagery that the Jewish audience would understand. But in verse 7, he says, submit to God. Submit to God. Submit means to place ourselves under his lordship and therefore commit ourselves to obey him in all things. And you're probably wondering, Matt and Rusty are gone. I thought we were going to take a week off of submission talk. No, James says, first, submit to God. Submit to God. And this is right after he talks about the source of our conflicts, the source of our selfishness, uh, and and having a better understanding of that. And then he says, submit to God. Don't submit to yourself. Don't submit to those desires. Submit to God. Place yourself under his lordship. Submission is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, Romans 8 verse 7 kind of gives us the idea of the essence of unbelief is a failure to submit to God's laws. It's a powerful verse. The essence of an unbeliever is a failure to submit to God and to submit to his laws. 
And James is urging us, submit to God. Follow Him. So a question with that would be, what are you holding away from Him? What are you not submitting to God? What are you holding away? Secondly, he says, resist the devil. Placing ourselves under God's authority means negatively that we firmly refuse to bow to the devil's authority. Resist kind of has the idea of the word is, is to, stand, um, to stand against. Submit to God, but we stand against the devil. Uh, so I found this quote very encouraging by Douglas Moo. He says, uh, when we resist the devil's purposes, he will, James promises, flee from you. Whatever power Satan may have, the Christian can be absolutely certain that he has been given the ability to overcome that power. You can say amen to that. Like, that's huge. That's huge. James saying, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise we have given to us in Scripture, given to us by James. So what are we giving over to him? More importantly, what are you giving over to him, being Satan or your desires, that you do not have to? Christian, we can be encouraged this morning. If you're struggling in temptation, if you're struggling with the flesh, you can have victory. God can help you. God desires to help you. Thirdly, look at verse 8. Draw near to God. Uh, in the Old Testament, this was a call to approach Him and worship, worship Him. I think here in this context, it can be sorted, uh, supported that drawing near to God as we repent of our sins and we seek to submit to God and he will draw near to us to restore the fellowship of the Christian. Think of the, the father, the prodigal son. God is always ready to welcome back his children who turn from them sinful ways. So he said, draw near to me. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Um, where are you hiding or running from him? Look at verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands. Again, this Old Testament imagery uh, stemming from the priestly purity and ministering the things of the Lord. He says, cleanse your hands. Psalms 24, verse 3. Psalms 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The psalmist required clean hand and a pure heart for those drawing near to God. James is echoing that. So what outward behavior needs to stop? Cleanse your hands. And he says, purify your heart. Purify your heart. What inward attitude needs to change? He says, show forth that repentance by mourning and weeping, not laughing about it, not taking it lightly. James is calling on God's people to express a heartfelt sorrow for their sin. And think, because this is what's happening in the community. There was a lot of quarreling. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of uh, selfish desires that were even affecting their prayer requests. And James is saying, submit to God. Draw near to me. Repent of that. Express that uh, sorrow for that sin. And I think true sorrow, heartfelt sorrow, is a marker of true repentance. Repent 
let people see godly sorrow. Then verse 7, or verse 10, I'm sorry. Verse 10, humble yourself. If God gives grace to the humble, then humbling ourselves before God is obviously the way to experience that grace. Mu goes on to say this about humbling ourselves. To humble ourselves before the Lord means to recognize our own spiritual poverty, to acknowledge consequently our desperate need of God's help, and to submit to His commanding will for our lives. Read a couple of verses out of Luke 18. It says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Will be exalted. Where do we need to admit, or where do you need to admit your wrong and ask for forgiveness? And do we express daily our neediness and our poverty before God? Does that come forth out of our prayers daily? God, I just need you. Without you, I, I am at best in poverty. Great picture of humility in Luke chapter 18. What does it look like to humble yourself? What does humbleness look like in dealing with conflict? Sometimes it means repenting. Sometimes it means not saying anything, not fighting. Sometimes it means asking for forgiveness. Sometimes it means stopping the quarreling. Humbleness and conflict can also imply asking for forgiveness or extending forgiveness to others. Um, Gospel-centered forgiveness is also very important in relationships. And I do want to just, I want to add this, and it's kind of changing gears away from James. But when we're talking about conflict and and understanding it and then resolving it, inevitably uh, a large factor in that is going to be forgiveness. Is one person who has sinned against the other, owning that sin, repenting of that sin before God, and then going to that person, especially a husband and wife, or, or maybe it's a father to a son or a father to a daughter or to your children. Hey, you know what? I've messed up. I sinned. Will you forgive me? Um, but what does that really mean? What does that really look like to uh, ask forgiveness, but for the one who has been sinned against to say, you know what? I do forgive you, especially in marriages. Because what, what do we do a lot of the times, right? We'll say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I forgive you, honey. I forgive you. It's all good, right? We're cool. And then a month or two months down the road, another conflict happens. And then what is often the first thing we like pull out of our backpack and we throw up and we say, well, you know what? Such and such months ago, you did this. And wait, wait, wait a second. I thought you forgiven me of 
that. Well, what's the biblical picture of forgiveness? Um, let me give you four promises of forgiveness. I just think this is helpful. It's been very, it was taught to me. It's been very helpful in, in, uh, in my marriage relationship and my relationship with others. When conflict happens, forgiveness will most likely need to happen. You can just jot down references. We won't go there. Uh, but Isaiah 43, 25, good one for you to look at. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Four promises of forgiveness. Number one, so if someone is genuinely seeking um, forgiveness, to be forgiven, and you as a Christian brother or sister, I think you are under obligation from Scripture to offer that forgiveness. Why is that? Because we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. Amen? The person who is struggling and offering forgiveness is just showing that they do not understand the gravity or the amount of forgiveness that they have received from Jesus Christ. The gospel, and, and, and you say, Nick, you know, I've experienced a lot of hurt by some people. I've experienced a lot of pain. How can I truly forgive that person? The gospel is the only motivation for that. Reminding ourselves that, you know what? How much Christ has forgiven me. How unholy and how unfit I am to receive any goodness from Jesus Christ, but yet he offers it to us and he went to the cross for us. That's our motivation. That's why I, we can look at each other and we can encourage each other. By the grace of God, with God's help, by the enabling of the powering of the Holy Spirit, you can offer and experience forgiveness. So when someone is sinned against or they're pursuing forgiveness and I say, for example, to my wife, you know what, Jenny, I forgive you. What does that look like? Number one, that I'm not going to bring it up. If I say, yes, I forgive you, Jenny, I am not going to bring it up. Um, only other for, for good purpose. Um, the only reason to address the offense with the, of the offender is for the purpose of reconciliation, not vengeance. So if I give that forgiveness... I'm, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to two months down the road throw it in her face. Because if I'm not, I haven't truly forgiven. God doesn't treat us that way. We shouldn't treat others that way if we have truly forgiven them. I'm not going to bring it up. Number two, I will not dwell upon it. And this is a hard one. I'm not going to replay the videotape of the sin over and over and over so we can savor ever excruciating detail. We're good at that. So we say, I'm not going to bring it up. I will not dwell upon it. Thirdly, I will not share it with others unless there's permission to do so. And this is a hard to do because we are so easily tempted to gossip. We love to share other sins with other people. We're so good at putting, rehashing stories to make ourselves um, be presented in the very best possible light. We're good at that, aren't we? 
but I will not share it with others. And then fourthly, I will not allow it to hurt our relationship. And this can happen because we have been redeemed and shown forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. So we're encouraged to follow our thinking and not necessarily our feelings in terms of forgiveness. When God forgives our sins, he makes a promise not to treat you as your sins deserve. He chooses to absorb the costs himself and the person and work of a redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I've always said that forgiveness is really, it's, it's two things. One, it's an event. You, you, you say, yes, I forgive you. But I also think it's, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. That daily, especially if it's a deep hurt, a, you've been deeply sinned against, you have to take the gospel to it on a daily basis on a daily basis, and ask God to help you with it. Humble yourself by laying your life down. Desire to serve and outdo each other in honor. When you are serving with God-honoring motives and a humble heart, it will help to diffuse and eliminate conflict, and it really doesn't leave much room for fighting. A couple closing remarks, and we'll be done. No one agrees all the time. God did not design everyone to agree exactly on all these matters. Rather, God redeems us and enables husbands and wives to reflect Christ in the church admits their disagreements and to grow and love one for another under every circumstance. This love tends to be expressed through gracious speech, humble listening, eagerness to serve, and a longing for Christ to be magnified in your marriage. And this is possible because of the Holy Spirit and is enabling in you. If we really believe the gospel, that we have been reconciled to God through his Son, and that we are in him forgiven and co-heirs in all the benefits of God's family, then we really do have enough. He has given us the universe in Christ. We don't need to fight over a grain of sand We must remember who we are in him. We are sons and daughters of God, redeemed by his grace. We don't have to cling or fight for the things of this world anymore. Quoted by John Henderson. Our desires that become our idols and replace our satisfaction in the gospel is the source of our conflicts which produces earthly wisdom. But God calls us to himself. He empowers us by his spirit so that we can display wisdom that is what? James says, that is pure, that is peaceable, that is gentle, that is open to reason, that is full of mercy and good fruits, that is impartial, and that is sincere. May God help us. May he give us his grace and a better understanding as we pursue to handle conflicts with the wisdom that comes from above. And uh, may we rely on on Christ to help us to do that. Shall we pray? Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for your, again, for your love, for your mercy, for the forgiveness that we have in you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the relationships that you have allowed us to have and to enter in. Lord, I know I'm so thankful for my wife and the encouragement she is to, to me. Lord, help us as husbands 
to love our wives, to lead our wives, to lead in repentance, to lead in reconciliation, to lead in forgiveness. Help us all as Christ followers to display that wisdom from above that is pure, that is gentle, that is peaceable, that is open to reason, that is sincere. Help us to display that so that you would receive honor and glory. God, in the days to come, even this afternoon, even tomorrow, this week, when heat comes in our life, when conflict arises in our life, Lord, help our hearts to be desired, to be ruled by your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to recognize selfish desires, selfish ambitions in our own heart, and by the power of your Spirit, Lord, help us to love and to treasure you the most. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.